Good evening. We are grateful that you are here this evening, especially to our visitors that are in our midst. And again, as we try to always say, we're just thankful for the opportunity to encourage ourselves for a few moments as we think about the Word of God. What a uh, there's not a better place we could be in these few moments as we think about uh, ending this Lord's Day and for many of you beginning the work week, things that are going on during uh, our regular five-day week, and it's a, hopefully a great encouragement to you, uh, as we try to say as well usually, not just for our time of worship and thinking about the Word of God, but also in our, our fellowship and the time we can spend together visiting, getting to know one another, and enjoying being around each other even as we think about the conclusion of this day and the beautiful weather that we've been able to enjoy and then the week that lies ahead. We have been talking a lot on Sunday nights about topics and things and ideas that sometimes people misunderstand. When we look at the world around us, there is a lot of confusion sometimes, especially religiously. Uh, many people have different ideas, and so we've taken time on our Sunday nights to look at certain questions that maybe you have had before, certain thoughts, uh, things that maybe have come into your mind. And this was an old outline that I've had in my notes for, for a long time and have used at least once before. But I think it would be encouraging for us to consider. If you have your Bible or a copy of the Bible in front of you, you can be turning, first of all, to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, we'll begin there in just a moment. You know, there are many terms in the Bible by which our Lord is described. We think about Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, And she shall bring forth a son... And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So we commonly refer to the Son of God as Jesus. We think about Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth the Son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So Jesus has been referenced as Emmanuel before. We sometimes think about Jesus being the way the truth, and the life. John 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There are Old Testament passages. We think about places such as Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Our young people sing a song that includes a lot of these names, but wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We sometimes sing songs. I didn't ask Clayton to lead any ones in particular tonight, but he is sometimes called the Lily of the Valley, the Bright and Morning Star, the Rose of Sharon. And there are many other names which portray the great scope of his character and his work. But the term Jesus the Misunderstood or the Misunderstood Christ is more than likely one that you've never used before, but also more than likely maybe just as fitting as these others that we have talked about. You know, Jesus truly was misunderstood and maybe always has been misunderstood by those whom he loved. Even his chosen disciples sometimes had many misconceptions regarding his nature and his work. The one that I asked you to turn to already was Matthew 16 and verse 14, where Peter's about to make that great confession. He's about to make that confession that thou art the Son, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But back in verse 14, Jesus asked them a question, almost asking them to tell him, who do men say that I am? And in verse 14, they say, some say John the baptizer, John the immerser, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, and even others say one of the prophets. 
So there was some confusion maybe about who he was. And then even in Matthew chapter 27, the reference that is in your notes, if you have your bulletin or outline in front of you, Matthew 27 and verse 47, we find Jesus at the end of his life. I mean, hanging on the cross here in the last moments, and he is still misunderstood. He's not called by the wrong name, similar to Matthew 16, where they maybe think he's somebody different. But here he has cried out with a loud voice in verse 46, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in verse 47, Matthew records for us some of those who stood there when they heard that, when they heard what he said, they said, this man is calling for Elijah. You know, our, our kids are, are young, and even Campbell sometimes, even being at the age of five now, sometimes get, they get misunderstood, right? Have you ever talked to one of those kids when they're five or younger, two or something, three, and, and they're trying to tell you what they want, and whether it's like a lisp or, or something, maybe they struggle with their speech, or it's just, we even joke sometimes about, you know, speaking Campbell, trying to interpret what it is he's asking for. And, and Jesus, in the last moments of his life, not in a funny way, not in a humorous way, of course, but is trying to say something, is saying something, and people are confused. He is misunderstood, even here in the last moments of his life. And so when we think about Jesus being misunderstood, he was certainly at that time, but we're going to kind of make the point that maybe even today, sometimes people misunderstand him. In our Sunday night sermons, we've talked about those questions, and we've used the phrase that sometimes people are biblically illiterate. And we want to be biblically literate, that we understand. And so I think even this lesson kind of applies to those thoughts because sometimes people just misunderstand what Jesus has said. But let's take a look at a few things tonight, and the lesson will be yours. Number one, they misunderstood his miracles. They misunderstood his miracles. You know, the Jews often thought that the Lord's miracles were performed for the express purpose of of relieving the suffering. They would look around them and here is someone who has not been able to walk for their life or maybe they've not been able to talk or they've been blind and here they are, they are healed. And so many people look at that and they say, well, here he is, he's able to do these things, he's taking care of their sufferings and so that must be the purpose, the purpose of his miracles. Well, guess what? When we talk about being misunderstood then and even sometimes being misunderstood today, that sometimes today people entertain the same misunderstanding can be evident because people today who have these sort of self-styled or self-proclaimed miracle workers, they're running around the country claiming this power to be able to heal people and very often they're doing it simply to gain followers. It's not about the power of God, it's about claiming power for themselves or at least that's what they say. So the supreme question then is, you know, do people still have these things today? Look in John chapter 11 and verse number 15. This is sort of a whole other lesson. If we had time, uh, we could go and we could, could look at these things, and we don't have a lot of time this evening. But we would simply make notice of the fact that the purpose of miracles, the purpose of the miracles that we read about on the pages of the New Testament were there so that they could confirm the word. They could confirm the message. As these apostles are going around and even Jesus is performing these miracles so that people can know who he is. John 11 and verse 15, is we think about Lazarus being dead there. 
Jesus says, And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Well, what's he talking about? Let's, let's back up and grab some context here. As he shows up, Lazarus is dead, and people are saying, We wish you had been here. Because if you had been here selfishly, you could have healed him, and then we would have had this problem taken away, and simply you could have met his physical needs. But Jesus says in verse 15, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, so that I could perform this miracle, raise him from the dead, and you would believe on me. So when we think about the purpose of miracles, they're not there for our own good, they, or they weren't there for their own good. And that's why we can't perform them in the same way today because they were there so that the message and the word could be confirmed. For those of you and several of you ladies, and of course our young people are not in here on Wednesday nights, but in our auditorium class on Wednesday nights in our Bible study, we've been talking about Philippians. And in the book of Philippians, Paul is saying that he had Epaphroditus with him. And Epaphroditus was not only homesick, he was also sick. And we have to believe, I believe that Paul could have healed him but in doing so, he would have only been doing it for his own good. I mean, he would have just been meeting his physical need. I, we, we, it's kind of, it's not meant to be uh, irreverent in any way, but you think about like this idea of having power, that Paul might have could have walked around with zapping people with his hand or, or healing people in just this kind of way. He could have, and he could have gained a lot of acclaim, but that wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to confirm the word and to confirm the message and so even then the people misunderstood his miracles and the purpose of miracles let's notice secondly that he was misunderstood because they misunderstood his silence they misunderstood his silence and let's even go ahead and say it it is still misunderstood today when Jesus went on trial whether you want to look at Matthew Mark Luke or John the accounts that are there, when Jesus went on trial, he answered nothing. And it kills us sometimes because we just want him. We sing the song, he had the power of 10,000 angels. He could have called. He could have put these people in their place and shut them up and just showed them who he was, but he remained silent. We think about Isaiah chapter 53, and I believe it's verse number 7. I hope I'm not misquoting there. But Isaiah 53, it was according to the prophecy that he was led silent before the mob. And that mob, they didn't understand that. The Jews misunderstood his silence and took it as an admission of guilt. Right? We still do that today sometimes. If somebody won't say something when they're accused, they must be guilty. So they're not going to answer. They misunderstood that. And misunderstood and thought that he was guilty because he remained silent. But his silence is still tragically misunderstood today. As we make this application between them misunderstanding him and us today, men today think his silence is a license to do whatever they want. Right? We have the completed revelation. We have the completed word of God. We have all things that pertain in life to all things that pertain to life and godliness. So we can look at this, but some people say, well, you know, it doesn't say don't do this. Or it doesn't say don't do that, so it must be okay. You know, some people would pick out certain, we might even call them pet sins, certain ideas, and they say, well, the Bible doesn't mention that. Well, you know, the Bible, I've heard one preacher say before, the Bible also doesn't mention cocaine, you know, by name. But we understand the concept and the idea of drugs and alcohol and those kinds of things that can be harmful to us. But some people would say that his silence is a license to do whatever they want. 
not just in, in sinful ways, maybe like we just kind of mentioned as an example, but what about even in worship? Well, he didn't say don't do this or this or this or this, so I must be okay to do whatever I want to do. Time and time again, the Bible warns us of terrible consequences when we go beyond what is written. And as we talked about this morning, as a restoration plea, as our plea here at this congregation, we want to go back to what the Bible says, not beyond. Nothing short of it, nothing beyond of it, but simply what the Bible has to say and let the silence be what it is. So yes, they absolutely misunderstood his silence. Let's notice as well in the third place, they misunderstood his resurrection. They misunderstood his resurrection. In John chapter 2, John chapter 2 verses 13 through 21, Jesus is cleansing the temple. And a lot of people know that. A lot of people refer to that. But in verse number 19, Jesus answered to them and said, Destroy this temple. I will destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then you can go to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, he's predicting again this idea. He says, Do you not see all these things in verse 2 of Matthew 24 after he has pointed out the temple he says do you not see all these things assuredly I say to you not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that was coming but they did not understand that Christ's resurrection gave hope and promise to the obedient 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we don't have time to get into all of that chapter. 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about the fact that there is hope because Christ rose from the grave. There is hope in his resurrection. And we sometimes say that because we talk a lot about his death, and rightfully so. Each first day of the week, as those did in the first century church, we meet around this table, so to speak, and we participate in communion and we commemorate his death. We think about his burial. We talk about being baptized for the remission of sins. Going into his burial in a sense, raising just as he did. But sometimes people forget and misunderstand his resurrection. Just as he was resurrected, what if he had stayed in the grave? What if those promises that he had made to rise again had not come true, had not been fulfilled? But yet they were. And even today, his resurrection is still misunderstood. Some people talk about the, the thousand-year reign, the reign that will happen, or these things that, that, that might happen as they look at Scripture sometimes and try to, to twist it. You can talk about Matthew 24 and, and 25 and those, uh, those particular chapters, what's mentioned there. That's a deep matter, all right? That's the kind of thing that, that's hard to just simply state in one sermon here in just a couple of sentences, but there is a lot of confusion about his resurrection. And we think about other people that claim to know uh, when we will be resurrected, right? When he will return and that kind of idea. And so what the encouragement that Paul gives us is that we would simply comfort one another with the words that we have in Scripture and so that we don't misunderstand his resurrection and what took place as he was resurrected and we have the hope that comes from that. Number four, let's think about the fact that they misunderstood his gospel message. His gospel message. 
Many people think that his gospel message is simply just a, a moral code, if you will. That what we read about on the pages of the Bible is just, it's good philosophy, right? I mean, it's just a good way of living. And so very often people hold to their traditions rather than Christ's words. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 2, and even down in verse number 9, that those scribes and Pharisees ask him about tradition. Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? In verse number 2. And he says in verse number 9, that in vain they worship me teaching as doctrine, the commandments, or we might even say the tradition of men. You know, the main purpose of his gospel message is to go far beyond the thoughts of, of man and morality. I've used this reference a few times, but, but very often our rules that we teach our kindergartners, the rules that teachers put on the wall the first day of school and teach their children are simply some of the same teachings that Christ talked about, about being respectful about showing honor to others, about even things like going the second mile, right? We begin to teach our children about doing more for someone than what is simply expected. Well, all those are teachings that Christ gave in a way. So is it just a book of good habits? Is it just a book of, of, of a moral code or philosophy by which we should live? Or is its main purpose to bring people to repentance, See, some people would think that you, and I've said it before, you can take a lot of the things that are included in, in the Word of God and, and put it on a bestseller, in a bestseller book and put it on a shelf at the bookstore and, and people could probably live better. They might be more healthy. They might just sort of live a better life. But that's not the purpose of this book. That's not the purpose of Christ's gospel message. It's to bring people to repentance. It's to help people understand that we are separated from God by our sins, but we do not have to remain there. We can be reconciled. We can be obedient to God's simple plan of salvation. And so many people under, uh, misunderstand the church as well. They misunderstand the teaching that comes from Christ's gospel message. One of the things that we do emphasize very often in our sermons, in our Bible classes here, is the idea that Jesus' teachings are so counter-cultural from the world that we live in. If you were in our auditorium class again not too long ago and we talked about the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the things that Jesus said there, they're backwards from the way that many people want to live. The idea of loving your enemy I mean, you mean the vitriol and the anger and the fussing that goes on in our world today? We're supposed to take people that we disagree with and love them and be kind to them? Yes, many people misunderstand the message and the teaching of Christ. That's not a first century thing. That goes forward into 2021 and yes, even beyond as long as man is here upon this earth. They misunderstood Christ's gospel message. And I'm afraid we do the same thing sometimes today. They also misunderstood his second coming. They misunderstood his second coming. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves in the same situation. All sorts of theories go about, about his second coming. You know what's kind of interesting about that is that the Jews failed to understand his first coming, right? When you think about it. They were looking for an earthly king 
who would establish an earthly kingdom in the world. And so almost in a bit of a humorous fashion with your hand above your eyes, they're looking and they're searching constantly for the Christ, for the Messiah. Jesus taught, my kingdom is not of this world. John chapter 18 and verse number 36. As they're going to crucify him, this is the message that he is sharing. John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. He's preaching this message even up until the very end and it's confusing for them. It's not the way we do things. So many people want to have the fight. They want to have the the big military. They want to have the wars. And so as he is standing silent, even as we just said a few moments ago, he is misunderstood. As we said just a moment ago as well, the idea of premillennialism, the doctrine has spread like wildfire. The thousand-year reign, the purpose of his second coming is confused by many people. And as we talked about the bookstore just a moment ago, there are lots and lots of books There are lots and lots of television programs. And certainly with the idea of the internet today and YouTube and things like that, you can go and find lots and lots of false teaching. And you know what's really easy about it? It doesn't take a lot, certainly in today's world, to just make a a fancy-looking video. You know, something that's very beautiful, something that's very fast-paced, something that's very well put together and done from a, a filmmaking kind of perspective. And people will buy into that. And they'll, they'll follow that. So we have a, a tough road as we think about trying to teach the truth about his second coming so that people don't misunderstand it. The purpose of his second coming, we might could sum up very briefly for our time that we have available tonight. In Matthew chapter 25, we read that one purpose of his second coming is to separate. You know Matthew 25, beginning in verse number 31, most people are familiar with that because we talk about the sheep and the goats. Right, they're going to be divided. He'll separate the sheep as a or separate the people as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. In verse thirty-two, he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. So when we try to not misunderstand his second coming, we need to understand that one purpose or part of the purpose is that his coming is to separate. We also know that he is coming a second time to deliver the kingdom up to God. To deliver the kingdom up to God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 24. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. Paul says here that this will come or will occur in the end. And so here's one place in which people start talking about a thousand year reign and I firmly believe I think I've said this before in our Bible classes and things but I firmly believe that many many people believe those type of things that are not taught in the Bible simply because they've not heard better or been taught better we have to be very careful as we go about trying to teach the truth and even as we've said in our lesson this morning trying to help people understand Bible things in Bible ways that we're not downgrading or degrading that we're just tearing them down and say well how ridiculous do you have to be no some people simply have never heard the truth and we need to do our best to help them understand we try to often point out we have a a tract rack full in our library of tract 
material that you can take, pamphlets that you can take and hand out to people. And I would encourage you, without a doubt, 100%, to take it and read it for yourself first. To go through there and find some that you think are interesting and might help people, and then take them and hand them out. We have lots of other resources in which we can share good information, solid, biblical, truthful information with people to help them understand. One other thing before we move to our conclusion here, he is also coming, as we think about not misunderstanding his second coming, he is coming to take vengeance on the disobedient. To take vengeance on the disobedient, and of course we're referring to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. When Jesus will come, when he will return to give you who are troubled rest with us, when he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, don't miss the description, the imagery here, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. We sometimes don't make it there. We stop at verse 8. And even in the Bible that I use here in the pulpit, verse 9 is over on the other page. So it's real easy to forget. But he says, Paul says, These shall be punished with the everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. There are some people who would have you believe that when Christ comes again, that it will be somewhat of a love feast somewhat of a good time to be enjoyed. Some people talk about the idea of Palestine and the thousand-year reign and these things. These verses don't point towards such a good time for some people. If we don't want to misunderstand his second coming, we need to know some of these things, that he is coming to separate. He is coming to deliver the kingdom up to God, but he's also coming to take vengeance on those who are disobedient and those who do not know the, uh, or those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is now reigning as king, and we can take comfort and peace in that. Why has Jesus been misunderstood throughout the ages? Sometimes even grossly misunderstood throughout the ages. Well, think about this. The Jews had preconceived ideas about him. And because they had this mold they had this pattern in which he was supposed to fit, right? The king, the, the horse, the army, the power, and all those things. When he came and he didn't fit inside those preconceived ideas, they refused to listen to him. They refused to hear the truth of his words because it didn't fit that pattern that they had. Is the same true today. Do many people in the world not become prejudiced against his teachings because they do not correspond with what they've always heard or been taught? And what is very hard to swallow sometimes is we have this pattern that we're taught by our parents or our grandparents. Or we have this pattern in which people, the people we have known all of our lives, they fit in this pattern. And yet here is Jesus with his truthful words not fitting into those preconceived ideas and so we misunderstand him today. And when we misunderstand him today, we don't want to listen. I think about even Stephen in the book of Acts. As Stephen is preaching the gospel of Christ, those people are plugging their ears and running around not listening. Our kids do that, right, sometimes? 
We do it in a sense, even though we don't always do it to each other by literally plugging our ears. May it never be said that we will do that to the words of Christ. Jesus is misunderstood, but may he never be the misunderstood Jesus in our lives. Just as we've talked about on Sunday nights, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of effort. It's very hard sometimes. It takes opening your Bible more than just on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. It takes finding a tract or a commentary or something from our library and trying to understand not just Jesus the Christ, but everything that we are told to do within his word. Sometimes it seems like a lot. Sometimes it's not a lot. But regardless, this is what he has given us to live by. These are the words of life. This is the way in which we can be saved and be on the path to heaven. It can seem very daunting, but we have a challenge to understand exactly who Jesus was, who he is in a sense, the words that he has given us to live by. And with that in mind, we'll conclude this lesson and we'll be singing in just a moment a song of invitation. That invitation is to come to know him. That's simply what he says, come unto me, hear my words, follow after me. He even says to lay your burdens upon him. He will take them and we can take his yoke, which is easy and light. The decision is yours tonight if you would decide to follow after him. If you're here and you're not a child of God, why not obey the gospel? Why not be baptized for the remission of your sins? If you're here tonight and you have questions about anything you've heard in this lesson or anything that you have about Jesus, maybe you misunderstand some of his teachings, we would love, I mean absolutely love, as soon as possible, to sit down and study the Bible with you. Anyone who hears this, as we have talked about our live stream and things and the opportunity for people to hear the message, the saving power of the gospel through here, we would love to study with you with an open Bible. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you've understood Jesus because you've been gospel obedient. You've been baptized for the remission of your sins. You've been added to his church. But through the course of life, you just struggle with things. See, we, we understand, quite often we understand his teaching, but it's just really hard. And we fall short of that. We're thankful to extend his second law of pardon tonight. If you are a child of God and you have need of repenting of your sin and confessing that, even before this audience, we are thankful for this opportunity to be together. And even at the end of this lesson, to encourage you with the words of this song, even now as we stand together and as we sing.